0: A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or bring something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel and it's another week. And this week I have a guest who we've been trying to tee up an interview for probably the last few months. So today I'd like to introduce you to Janja Lelik, who's who was the Professor Emerita of Sociology and the Founder Centre for Research on Cults and Coercion. So how are you? I've, I've said your name wrong, haven't I?
1: That's all right. It's Yanya Lalich. It's, it's not a, it's not an easy name.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good.
0: Well, look, it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant to have you on the show this week because um, you know, I was saying to you before we started, I don't know why, but I've always had a fascination with cults and human behavior and how people become part of a cult and what happens to them as they join and 90% of them once they're in, it's really hard for them to find a way out, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So do you want to give me a bit of background on what you've been doing um, over the last I guess 20 years as the fa- in the Center for Research on Cults and also how you got into it?
1: Okay, well, I'll, I'll start a little chronologically, yeah. In the mid-70s, I moved back to America from having lived on an island off the coast of Spain for four years. It was my hippie years. Wow. Yeah. And I came to San Francisco because a college friend was there. And within that first year, I got recruited into a cult. Yeah. So I was, I was a, I always had been a sort of political person and social activist. And so here I was new in San Francisco and I was meeting new people. And I met a friend of a friend and she invited me to join a study group. So at the time, this was just at the end of the Vietnam War. And so there were a lot of study groups among, uh, people in the left who were kind of trying to figure out, well, what do we do now? You know, yeah. the war protests are over, et cetera, et cetera. So it was very common to have study groups of small bands of people, friends. So I thought, yeah, that sounds great. I'm, you know, I'll meet some like-minded people and I'm new in town, blah, blah, blah. So I joined the study group and I, didn't know that it was a front uh, for a cult, another organization. Uh, they didn't say that at all. Yeah. Um, and about halfway through the study group, the woman who initially invited me met with me again and explained that there was this other organization that was, she told me it was international and it was racially mixed and um, we were going to fight for social justice and get rid of the racism and and sexism and all the isms and yeah so i thought that sounded good and she said well uh, first of all you can't tell anybody and so i thought okay well they're being very serious because at the time there were a lot of what were called red squads in the police departments and people were actually they were actually looking for patty hearst because that whole incident with the Symbionese Liberation Army had just happened whether people may not know that history. But anyway, and they had me and the woman had me fill out a huge application um, and then said they'd get back to me. So this is the kind of bait and switch that happens, you know, while you're fruited. Uh, So then she got back to me in about a week and said, great, you're accepted. So here's the rules. And so at that point, I was told I had to pick a new name. I couldn't tell anybody I had to be on call 24 hours a day. I couldn't unplug my phone anymore. In those days, phones were plugged into the wall. And, yeah, and yeah, if, you yeah. didn't, if you didn't want to be bothered, you just unplugged them. So f- yeah. for people who aren't old enough to know that. <laughs> <laughs> so I started working with them. And at the time, the organization it didn't even have a name at that time. And everything was underground. Like no one was supposed to know we existed. But we did like strike support work for unions and things like that. I immediately was asked to be, the secretary to the central committee. So I would sit in these meetings and of course be taking notes on whatever these six people in leadership were talking about. And there was a main leader who was called the general secretary yeah. and I'd have to take notes and then type them up and deliver them before the next morning at 6 a.m. So immediately I'm kind of getting into sleep deprivation Yeah. Anyway, time went on. I rose up in the ranks. I was always in leadership. Um, I was pretty much groomed by the woman who recruited me, who was the second in command. Um, We lived a very harsh existence. We worked 18, 20 hours a day, seven days a week, week after week, year after year. We eventually, I was told to build a publishing house. We had a publishing house. We had a newspaper that we put out every other week in English and in Spanish we had all kinds of front organizations to recruit, like we had one called the Rebel Workers Organization, which was to recruit workers. And then we had one called the something, the League for Proletarian Socialism, which was to recruit intellectual, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this went on for 10 years and everybody was pretty exhausted, especially those of us who'd been in from the beginning. Yeah. So, what happened? I mean, this is a really quick rundown, but what happened, which is extremely unusual in cults, is that the leader was out of the country and we called everyone together and we told them what was really happening behind the scenes that the leader was an alcoholic and all the decisions were arbitrary. And people, have, at first, people didn't believe us. They thought we were just, you know, trying to have a coup or something. Yeah. And we finally convinced them that we were telling the truth. And then the night before, she returned. Our leader was a woman. The night before she returned, we took a vote and we voted unanimously to expel her and to dissolve the organization. And the next day, a team of people met with her and said, the party's over. And so that was, so we all got out. Um, It was very traumatic, obviously. Um, I decided to leave San Francisco and go to New York yeah. Uh, because I figured I could get a job in publishing, and I wanted to get away f- as far away from San Francisco as I could. Yeah. Very. I was very fortunate in that I found an excellent therapist who knew about cults. Again, this is a long, ver- a short version of my life. Once I got my head back together, I went back to San Francisco, and I start. I wrote a long article about the cult that was published in the Cultic Studies Journal. And I started going to conferences and giving presentations. And I wrote my first book about recovery. And then after 10 years out, I decided, I finally made the decision to go to grad school. And I did that and got my PhD. While I was in grad school, the Heaven's Gate cult, uh, the suicides, if you want to call them, that happened. And so my dissertation ended up being a comparative study of the cult that I was in and the Heaven's Gate cult.
0: Right, right.
1: uh, Since that time, then I was a professor uh, for almost 20 years and retired a few years ago. Well, retired from that, but I'm busier than ever. (laughs) Once QAnon and and the anti-vax movement, all that stuff that came with the pandemic, I mean, suddenly my life really blew up all over again with inquiries Yeah. And uh, so this is pretty much what I've been doing for the last actually about 35 years is working with survivors, working with families, uh, giving presentations. I I have about six books out and um, I now have a nonprofit organization that I'm building with a team of people I've been working with so that I can leave behind some kind of legacy because I'm 77 years old. And at some point I'm going to pass, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so i want to make sure there's people who can carry on with what I've been doing. Wow. It's fascinating.
0: And it's, it's amazing when you talk it and you say how you disbanded and you came out of that, because I guess back then when you left, there wouldn't have been so many people around who had, uh, who or specialized in cults and knew how to help people coming out of cults. So I guess you were lucky that you found a really good therapist that could help you.
1: Yes, I mean, it was uh, um actually, at the time, there was a cult clinic both in Los Angeles and New York that that were run by the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services. Right. And the therapists there were trained in, you know how to understand cult after effects. And so I was just lucky. I mean, they ne- neither of them exist anymore. Uh, but in the mid '80s, I was lucky, and I got a terrific therapist. And because today, still one of the big problems for people is finding therapists or social workers who can understand what the hell they're talking about, because most of them are not familiar with this type of trauma.
0: Yeah, well, it is a very specialized sort of trauma, isn't it? I mean, I've spoken to, and I know you know uh, Sarah Edmondson from Nexium. I spoke to her oh, last. Yes last season, and I also spoke to um, another lady who had come out of a yoga cult in Paris, uh, and this mm. year I've actually got someone coming on who was part of the kundalini yoga, Yogi Bhajan, um, oh, yes. and she's going to talk uh, about how that right. was, and she was actually uh, raised in it as a small child, and she was like his, uh, I, I don't know, what like his princess, I guess. She was in front of him every time he was speaking mm. and on his lap. I mean, look, with that lady, I've been speaking to her for the last two years, and we've been trying to put together how we approach this, because there's so much in there. And I guess, luckily for us, now it's coming to a head, and it's a lot more well known, because she was frightened about speaking about it, because what would the Mm -hmm. ramifications from the people who are still in the cult or still believe in him? What would that be?
1: So. The same things happening with Rajneesh right now. I don't know if you've seen the article that was in the London Times. Is that the orange people? Yes. 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 Rajneesh, also known as Osho, a huge article came out about the sexual abuse of the children who were on his uh, uh, ashrams or the communities he had around the world. And it was just horrific. And there have been little bits about it over the years, but this is now a big explosion and it's just bursting wide open. You know, people love Osho and they post his quotes all the time on on the Internet, on Facebook. And you're like, please, do you know who this man is? He's a creditor. Yeah. And and he
0: was the one who escaped in the night, didn't he, on an airplane because he was going to be arrested?
1: Well, he didn't exactly escape in the night. But, yeah, he got out of the country um, and went back. That's when he changed his name from Rajneesh to Osho. And then he. He died a few years later. I think he died in 93 or something like that. Hundreds of thousands of followers still.
0: Yeah, look, I watched, uh, I think it's Wild Wild Country uh, about them. And I can't remember who the lady is in it, but I remember, yes, growing up as a child, I remember her appearances on Australian TV. And Uh like, it was amazing to see this woman who was, I think she even threw water over someone because they didn't believe what she was talking about. Uh, And then to see the whole six episodes in context, you go, oh, my God, this is bizarre. (laughs) Well, I guess it's also similar to, I've forgotten his name now, the one that started in San Francisco and moved everybody to South America. And then
1: Jim Jones. Yes,
0: Jim Jones. You know, they were people who followed a spiritual movement, who thought they were doing something really good. And then it turned into an absolute nightmare for everybody.
1: Right. So, you know, this is what happens. I mean, there's this idea that it's like stupid, weird, crazy, lazy people who get into cults or weak willed or weak minded when in fact it's completely the opposite. I mean, Ninety nine percent of the people who join cults um, or who get recruited into cults, it's because of idealism. It's you know, it's that they want a better world or they want a better, safer religion or they want uh, more income, whatever it might be, whatever they're promising. you. But it's people who are coming from a place of idealism and then they. You know, they're not dealt a full deck, as we say, when they get recruited. They have no clue what they're really joining. And then through the indoctrination process, you know, they get changed and the thing starts to turn very sour because there's no checks and balances, and the leaders keep they're they're able to keep pushing the envelope, right? And things just get worse and worse and worse. Do so you- that's kind of a typical trajectory. Do you think with some
0: of these uh, leaders, they do start off in a good place and then something changes them or are they already like that?
1: Um, my opinion is that most of them, almost all of them are already like that. Most cult leaders are narcissists for one, which means the world revolves around them. Yeah. And most of them are what we call malignant narcissists, which means they have a little bit of psychopathy or sociopathy. So if you look back in their, in their backgrounds, often when they were children, they were the, you, you know, you see the stories they killed cats and other animals, or they bullied all their friends in elementary school. So most of them start are are that way to, to begin with. There may be the odd person who had some kind of psychotic break and had some kind of what they interpreted as a spiritual awakening and God spoke to them or whatever, and then they you know gather up some followers. But that's very rare. It's mostly almost always just a straight out con. It's people who want power and who want to take advantage of people.
0: When I spoke to Sarah, Keith Ranieri, when you see his background and how he was amazing at everything, but people hadn't actually seen him do these things. You know, like he was a judo champion and piano player and all these things right. that he was brilliant at but he had never actually shown anyone uh, exactly. but I guess they believed it because they'd already like that was a group that went to uh self improvement to work on themselves to feel better about themselves to be better in in, in their life in their
1: right in their yeah. careers mostly yeah yeah
0: and, and then that turned around into something completely bizarre right.
1: And and it wasn't Ranieri's first attempt. I mean, he'd been known to start um, multi-level marketing companies um, that got shut right. down because of fraud. I mean, he had a very shady background. But because he connected with Nancy Salzman, she's the one who really made it happen. He, I don't think he could have done it without her. I don't think he was smart enough. Uh, but yeah. Nancy Salzman came in and they and she helped create the whole program that really was successful in recruiting people into those so-called self-improvement courses. And then certain people were drawn in to move to Albany and then it grew from there. And again, there were, you know, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. So he had, you know, he was sleeping with how many women at the same time or whatever and Using people's money, and um, he just got away with it all until he got caught. <laughs> and,
0: and look what? now, now that you say that, uh, and I think back about watching the vow. Yes, she was the one that actually knew how to pull all those programs together that got people to come in and be part of it. As you say, he was probably good at, at multi-level marketing because he'd had a few successful times before he got caught. But she actually right. knew how to set up the programs to bring the people in.
1: Right, and to and to. Indoctrinate people into how to worship him and honor him and be loyal to him. You know, right away, the first thing they go to, they have to, they learn that they have to call him Vanguard. You know, people might have thought that was a little creepy, but they will, oh, well, whatever. And, you know, you go to one thing and then you go to the next. And before you know it, you're trapped.
0: Yeah. And that's how easy it is, isn't it? Because you start off with a good thing and you think it's going to improve you. And it's, I mean, when you were saying about the cult that you were in, how it was going to break down the barriers between sexes and uh, races, I mean, who doesn't want to be in something yeah. like that? It, it's exactly. a really big draw card because we all want to live in more peace and harmony. Mm-hmm. And, but all of them seem to be like that. I mean, with uh, Rajnishi, the orange mm-hmm. people. I mean, their, their original thing was beautiful, watching those people all work together to create a town, and it was amazing. And then you start to see it change, and you go, oh, my God, these people actually don't realise what's
1: happening. Right, and it changed way before uh, Oregon. I mean, that's that's what wild, wild Country was missing was they missed a lot of the real story of what went right. on at his ashram in India and his communities around the world and um, there was so much more to that cult than just what happened in Oregon. Yeah, and because that that was really Sheila's story, you know. Um, and I I couldn't even finish watching it to tell you the truth, because I was just like, oh come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, you know, so it, it p- partial stories do come out. You know, the cults are very good at doing um, damage control. You know, stopping uh-huh. stories and. Hiding. I mean, that's why Jim Jones left the country because a big expose was about to come out in a San Francisco magazine. And he was like, let's get out of here.
0: Um, And you you usually find with these cults that uh, they have, I guess we'd call the smaller people, which are the normal people, just like us. And then they have their higher up people that join, which are lawyers, all those sort of high up, high end careers that when something goes wrong, the lawyers can jump in and defend whatever they're doing.
1: That's right. I mean, it's really important to understand, like, when cults recruit, like, who cults look for are are really A-type personalities. They look for people with skills. They look for people with money. They look for people who can bring in good contacts because all of that lends legitimacy to the cult leader and, the like, you know, like Ranieri, you know, being on stage with the Dalai Lama, right? Well, yeah. 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 They paid the Dalai Lama $2 million. So, of course, he's going to... I don't know what that says about the Dalai Lama, but still. Mm. So so cults recruit these people who can run the businesses, recruit, you know, do all this stuff. And they do set up a hierarchy uh, so that there's people at the top who function under the leader. So in a sense, they it's what we call charisma by proxy. You know, they're Mm. functioning as the leader in a sense that he you know, they have his or her good graces to. And people have to follow them and carry out their orders. And that's how, if they build a really good structure like that, they can go on for a very long time. And that's why they can spread around internationally, because they'll have these trained leaders who are true believers um, who will run the places in other parts of the world.
0: I was watching a a small thing on the uh, Yogi Bhajan yesterday, Mm -hmm. and it said that he knew all the presidents during his time. And I guess by making connections with them it it gives them credibility doesn't it it's like well if the president sees nothing wrong with them why should i doubt what they're doing
1: exactly exactly i mean that's what jones did he was in with the mayor and all the political you know the top political people in san francisco and so people think oh well he's just this nice pastor at this church you know uh, and he and he had bogus stuff going on from the beginning, you know, fake faith healings and all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't like a, just a nice little church and it went bad when they got to Guiana. It was you know, it certainly got worse there because people were isolated. Their passports were taken away. They couldn't leave if they wanted to. And if they objected, they were given drugs and sort of locked up in a building that was like a mental ward, um, you know. And so it really got really extraordinarily awful once they were isolated like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look, I remember seeing that one a few years ago. And I I guess in some ways we're lucky that because these leaders are quite narcissistic, um, Mm -hmm. that they video everything and we get a lot of the evidence because otherwise we would we would just be taking someone's word for what happened. But all of them video nearly everything they do.
1: I know. It's so crazy that 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 really shows their like self-centeredness. You know, I mean, Ranieri did that. Larry Ray did that who was the head of the uh, Sarah Lawrence cult I don't know if you know about right. that one but he was tried for very very similar crimes as Ranieri he he started a cult with his daughter's roommates on the on the college campus of Sarah Lawrence which is a very high-end university here in America yeah and it, it became an extremely cruel and evil group that he got these young kids 19 20 years old he turned One got turned into a prostitute and had to turn over millions of dollars to him. I mean, he just built people and he was so cruel. I mean, he did really awful physical punishments of people, like twisting a guy's tongue with appliers pliers and putting bags, plastic bags over people's heads till they almost died. And I mean, but it was all filmed. And so when when the trial came, I mean, there's no way you can then say, oh, he didn't do that. He was just having fun. Sting his tongue with the pliers I mean they can't get you know and so he yeah. hopefully get the same kind of sentence ranieri did I mean he's, he got convicted of all charges
0: so has he been sentenced to how long he's got to serve
1: yeah you no, know, the sentence ha- the sentence happens in a few months but there is a documentary coming out on September 29th I believe it is on the on the peacock Channel I don't know if everyone has it's somehow connected to NBC and yeah. actually I I'm in the documentary they filmed me a month or so ago. Wow. And so there will be a documentary about him and about this cult. He, I, I never thought anyone could be worse than Ranieri, but this guy, Larry Ray, he was horrific. Wow. An absolute monster.
0: It's bizarre, isn't it? Could I just ask you, you were saying that when the pandemic hit and you were doing some work about, around anti-vax and QAnon, what was that about?
1: Well, the, you know, we were shut in, sheltered down for what, a year, a good yeah. year, right? And people got, you know, people were isolated. Some people lived alone. They never, people hardly ever went outside. You had nowhere to go, no one to see, and I think people really got lost on on the on their computers, right? So people spent a lot more time on the internet and got shuffled around with these algorithms. And I, I don't know what algorithms are, but apparently they shuffle <laughs> you around.
0: <laughs> I don't really understand Anything. them either.
1: Anyway, people ended up going down these rabbit holes and, you know, some person who had been an absolutely just a good friend or a good uncle or a good family member, you know, suddenly turned into these hardline believers of all these conspiracy theories and the deep state and Hillary Clinton, you know, running a child sexual abuse thing in the basement of a pizza parlor oh, yeah, that didn't even have a basement, you know, I yeah. mean, just this. And so I started getting a lot of calls from from journalists and also from families who lost someone to that, uh trying to figure out well you know how how do we talk to these people? what do we do and I, and then at the same time the the regular what I now call the run of the mill cults because what happened during the pandemic is the, the cults on the internet really blossomed. but the run of the mill cults or the brick and mortar cults well th- that all kind of exploded as well and and I think part of that was the effect. Of the pandemic and of people you know people feel when people feel unsettled you know they look for they look for a framework to understand like what the hell's going on in the world right right? so for some it's going to be oh this is armageddon right and they're going to go you know get get involved in some kind of fundamentalist christian group or something but but when people are unsettled like that and when societies are unsettled that's when cults can recruit like crazy because people are are looking for help. They're looking for answers, right? It's like, yeah. what's going on here? And so both the internet cults and the internet conspiracy stuff and the regular old cults just blossomed like crazy. And so my, my I can't say my phone rang off the hook because it doesn't work like that anymore. But <laughs> my... My internet exploded with emails <laughs> um, and it just is—it hasn't stopped since then.
0: You're right because I remember during the pandemic, I think here we're in Victoria, Australia, we were locked down pretty much on and off for two years. Okay. And I remember seeing a news report, it might have been online or it might have been on the TV, about QAnon and a couple of guys mm-hmm. from Victoria being uh, speaking about it and they were like, well, you know, I was locked in. I didn't have anyone to talk to. I spoke to some friends on the phone. But after a while, you, you sort of ran out of things to say to your friends because you were all locked down. And then I started looking Rick. for things. And I found this group, and it seemed to be really interesting, and they seemed to be they had different ideas to how I thought. And then before I knew it, I was in this thing where I'm like, what the hell have I done? Why am I here? What, what This isn't me. And I think Rick. our ex, I was going to say president, our ex-prime minister uh, Scott Morrison was actually friends with one of the top people in QAnon in Australia, um, wow. or by association, because there was some uh, footage that came out of them together, and then he was saying, "Oh no, 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 we're just." You know, I knew him, but I don't know him. I haven't seen him for so many years. The same with Hillsong. Do you know the Hillsong Church? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Brian, Mm -hmm. I can't remember his surname, but he was good friends with the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. And Scott Morrison said, I haven't seen him in four years. And then there was footage the year before of him on stage at Hillsong singing and giving Mm -hmm. a speech, you know? Yeah, Yeah. And I watched the documentary on Hillsong. And all of these things seem to be trying to recruit as young as they can to indoctrinate, what's the word, indoctrinate.
1: Indoctrinate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So
0: that yeah. then they have those beliefs as they're getting older. And I guess 17, 18, 19-year-olds are your perfect sample, aren't they? Because they're the ones who are still forming what they exactly. want to do in their life.
1: Right, yeah. Your brain is not fully formed until you're 25. Yeah. So for the children who are born into cults and also or if they're brought in at a very young age or ones who get recruited at those like late teen years or even early 20s, it makes such a it it makes a much deeper impact than, say, someone like me who joined at 30 years old. Right. Even though, obviously, I, I was impacted as well, but nothing like someone who's who's born in or raised in that it it changes your brain and it's very difficult then to undo that um, yeah. so yeah there was a lot of that and and the the other difference that i saw with the stuff that was happening on the internet was the was the level of hatred and violence that we didn't exactly see in that way from the brick and mortar cults before then so yeah. most cults You know the traditional ones, I'll call them. Most cults don't act outwardly, right? Other than to recruit, yeah. But they don't go after the things in the real world. I mean, maybe they'll. Some of them might go rob a bank or something. But basically, they focus on their members, right? And that's where they the damage, and that's where they do the real harm. Yeah. But what I believe happened is because we had someone who was our president, who I shall not name, who really reinforced this, what we call this us versus them mentality. He really exaggerated the divisions in our country and gave people license to act on that. You know, so we had him, you know, praising the, the Nazis and saying, Oh, they're all good people or telling the proud boys, you know, stand by and, you know, things like that and encouraged that kind of hate and violence. So, With QAnon and with the anti-vax movement and some of the other stuff happening on the Internet, we've seen a lot more outward violence, which is different from what cults were typically doing before. Yeah, You know, like attacking someone in a grocery store because they're wearing a mask or even just all the mass shootings that are happening now um, that are often racially motivated. I mean, that all of that stuff got really let loose and reinforced by by that guy and so it really uh, almost took us over culturally which is which is what we're really struggling with now as a country
0: it's a perfect breeding ground during a lockdown for cults and people around cults, because people are locked in, they're frustrated, they're angry, they're upset, they have no Mm -hmm. control on what's going on in their own life. So when someone comes forward and says, hey, join this group and you can have your say, people are like, yeah, I want to get out there and have my say because they're not going to do this to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I I know uh, through friends and family members there were those that were okay with the lockdown and there were those that were like, why are they doing this? There's got to be something higher up that's causing this. And so, and look, now that lockdowns have gone, all those people have come back to normal and they're not thinking like that anymore. But I guess in a a situation like that, all our emotions are heightened because I I was lucky enough to work during the time, but still driving to work, driving home, I felt a sense of unease because why am I allowed to drive to work when other people can't work? Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So Mm -hmm. it, it was a really high tension time and, I guess that's why divorce rates went through the roof because people exactly. realise they can't live with these people. They, they're they happy to see them a couple of <laughs> hours a day, but not, not 24 hours a day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it has, it has a lot of effects in a lot of different areas of life, that's for sure.
0: So during the pandemic was actually a really good time for cults to explode because there was those amount of emotions that people just wanted to have someone to stand up with them, I guess.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, you know, and it, and it has to do with why people end up in cults to, to begin with. I mean, we're all, you know, this old we're all social animals, right? We all want to be part of something. We all want to belong. We all want to have family. We We may not express it in exactly those words, but those are our normal, natural human instincts. So yeah. joining something, you know, is not like, oh, this is a crazy person. They're joining something. No, I mean, that's a natural human thing. What's unfortunate is that people aren't, people are moving too fast and they're not questioning enough and they're not doing their research and they're being pushed and pulled and love bombed, what we call love bomb, yeah. where during the early parts of the recruitment process, they're just making you feel like you're the most wonderful person in the world, right? Yeah. So, but there's there's nothing abnormal about people joining joining groups or joining associations or whatever it is. I mean, that's what we do as humans.
0: I was just going to pick up, you know, with the orange people, I remember in that that they actually targeted homeless people and drug addicts to uh, make their, I guess, make them a bigger group. But also they were people, they they were easy pickings, weren't they? Because to offer someone who's got nothing, a home, food, stuff like that, I mean, that's an easy way to come in. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah, and so they brought in all those people so they could vote You know, in the local election, which is what they were trying to take over. Yeah. So they brought them in in school buses or something. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Do you want to tell me a little bit about what you found out about Heaven's Gate? Because I think, uh, look, I can't think off the top of my head of any other one, any other cults that believe in aliens and where we came from and stuff like that. I think most cults are either religious cults or as you say, narcissistic people who want to have control over people. But Heaven's Gate was this belief that um, they were preparing to go off into a spaceship and go off to another planet, weren't they?
1: No, Heaven's Gate, the the belief system was that the two leaders, um, Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles, who were known as T and Doe, they were here to gather up I'll use the word people, but they wouldn't use the word people. They were here to gather up people who belonged at at their home, which, was, which they called the level above human. Right. It was never really described as a planet or anything specific like that. It was just always called the level above human. What they indoctrinated their followers with was that they were really not human beings. They were these beings from this other level who were housed in a sense in these human bodies, which they called vehicles, but Mm -hmm. that's not who they were. Right, And they had to go through training in order to get ready to be lifted up to the next level um, by a spaceship or by whatever means. And that was a very, very clever idea, because if you get people to accept that they're not humans... And they're really these alien things in these shells. Then, if you really truly believe that, and you wanted to, and you thought about leaving, you would think, "Wait a minute, I'm not even a real human being. How can I leave and go into this world? I'm I'm not a human being. How would I ever be accepted? How would I survive?" Right. So it's a really good mind twist um, and a good glue to keep you there. And so everything they did after the first few months of their founding, which started out really kind of loosey goosey in the woods, but then they've created what they called the class. And this is where their training was supposed to come in. And that's when they all had to wear these same uniforms that looked like, kind of like someone would wear on a spaceship or they had to all look alike, show no, no, no sexuality, no gender. Um, They had, they, Bonnie came up, Bonnie was actually the leader and which I think most people didn't understand. And Bonnie would come up with these crazy diets for them to be on, like eat nothing but carrots for a month, or they'd have to spend time with bags over their heads. And and basically the idea was to get rid of anything human that was seeping into them because they were in these vehicles, these these human shells. So they had to... And so they were supposed to work really hard at doing that and then also practice. So where when they all were living together in a space, you know, they had to eat meals in a certain way. They had to cook in a certain way. They had to shave in a certain way. They had binders and binders of rules of how everything should be done. And, and a few people after they basically used up a lot of money of some of the members who had money from their families. Yep. So some people were allowed to go out and work. And of course they, they most of them got techie jobs, and they you know when they when they were at work, they just never talked about who they were or what they did and I'm you know all the techies, especially back then, I guess everybody thought they were kind of geeks and weirdos, so yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it's
1: unusual, <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of went from there, and yeah, they had a very tight belief system that changed a little bit over time in part because of things that happened externally that they had to adjust for, which happens to cults a lot. Like when Bob died, I mean, Bonnie is supposed to be this being from another level yet. she gets cancer and dies. So how do you explain that? So they had to find a way to get around that, um, make up a story. And then Marshall had to take over, which he didn't feel competent to do. Yeah. Um, And so he and Bonnie figured out a whole ritual to do to take care of that when she finally passed. And so it was all very thought out. Most cults, everything's very thought out. Nothing is by happenstance. It's all very deliberate.
0: Do you think that most people presume that Marshall was the ringleader because Bonnie had passed and then he was the one left, and so that's who you remember?
1: Yeah. I think most people think of him as the leader because of the videos at the end where he's speaking. Um, But if you look at their history, it's very clear. She recruits him when he's in a very psychologically vulnerable state. She was already into New Age stuff. She was leading seances and, you know, tarot cards and astrology and all that. Then she recruited him and said, oh, you know, you're my soulmate, blah, 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 and convinced him to leave his family and, and go live with her. They both were married and had families and they never had an intimate relationship. It was always platonic. But she was the one who really came up with all this stuff. And then, but he was the one also when they would go out and recruit, like they would go to college campuses and places like that where they could find people interested. And, you know, back then, this we're, we're talking the 70s, the late yeah. 70s, they did most of the recruiting. And everybody was into UFOs then and yeah. all this new stuff. And so that wasn't unusual. I mean, this yeah. is why. When when we look at cults, it's really important to look at the context, like what was going on in the society at the time, you know, so now, you know, when the ending came and he's on TV with his bald head, people think, oh, my God, what a kook. But he started out as a very handsome man with a thick head of hair and deep blue eyes. And he did all the talking when they did these public presentations, and she just kind of sat there. So I think that's why everyone thought he was the leader when really she was the one who called the shots.
0: And look, as you say, in context, in the 70s, we've just landed on the moon, um, exactly. UFO sightings are going through the roof. So people right. are believing in that, and they're wanting to find out more about UFOs.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, that was a, that was a big thing back then. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the yeah. perfect time. The men also, uh, was it that they removed their
1: testicles? Some of the men did get castrated and that happened quite toward the end. And I don't think, I mean, from what I understand, it wasn't, wasn't really Marshall's idea. I mean, they, you know, one of their rules was that, that they were to get rid of any sexual urges. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And, I, and I think that, the guys in the group had a harder time with that than some of the women. Right. Let's face it. And so there was especially one one guy who was kind of the most gung ho follower. He was always like first one up, blah, 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 blah. And I think he really helped generate this idea that if they got castrated, that would be a way to get rid of these human urges that they were still having. Yeah. And he may have been the first one to have it done. And Marshall went along with it. I mean, Marshall himself was gay uh, before all this happened and was leading kind of a closeted life in Texas, coming from a very religious family. And he was, you know, charming, charismatic. He was an choir teacher at a college, but um, had been in operas and different things, was very charming and skilled and had, you know, had a family. So I think because of his own struggles around his homosexuality is a lot where the the genderless idea came from. Yeah. Um, That had been a struggle for him as a as a young adult or even an older adult. So that was perhaps his contribution. And she you know, the other thing that really I thought was very revealing in the in the kind of the duplicity of it all was that during that whole time, Bonnie was writing to her daughter back in Texas and saying, do the right thing, go to college, have a career. Now, if she really thought the earth was going to be coming to an end, which is part of the belief system, you know, wouldn't she want to recruit her daughter to go with her? I mean, wouldn't she? Why would she tell her daughter to do the, you know, the good old American thing? And so I just think that's a, a really telltale sign that She didn't believe one iota of it. No. Just all the scam.
0: Yeah, and they made quite a bit of money from it as well, didn't they?
1: Well, they went gambling at the casinos in Las Vegas. We know that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So So. can I ask you then, what is the difference between a cult and a religion? Because I think there is a very fine line between religion and a cult some uh, look i'll let you say what you think and then because yeah i mean thinking about cults over the last few years i was thinking wow that religion actually does a lot of this and that religion does a lot of this and we're told to believe in this spirit in the sky and do everything and not sin and so is it similar or is there a divide between both
1: yeah okay i'll speak to that so for first of all the, the an important point is First of all, that not all cults are religious.
0: Ah, yes, yes.
1: Yes, there's cults of all kinds. Yeah. But if we want to look at religion and cults uh, as a comparison, to me, the big difference, well, first of all, I'll say there, there are probably some extreme ends of some religions that appear very cultic and do have some of the same characteristics. That to me doesn't mean they're a full-blown cult, but they have a lot of the characteristics because what cults do isn't that unusual, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just doing everyday things of controlling people and influencing people and having rules and ways to live and behaviors, etc. But in my mind, a healthy religion, first of all, is not going to have you worshiping this human being in front of you, who's the pastor or the minister I or see, the yeah. rabbi or the whatever, right? Yeah. You do not worship him or her. Yeah. What in a healthy religion, what you are worshiping is some kind of ephemeral being, uh, you know, God, Buddha, Allah, yeah. a tree, whatever it might be, right? Yeah, but you're yeah. not worshiping this this flesh and blood thing in front of you, yeah. who's then telling you how to live. So I, I think that's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Secondly, a healthy religion will give you guidelines to live by. Right. Like be kind to your neighbor, you know, help, yeah. help a blind person across the street, whatever. But they aren't going to check up on you and make sure that you do it. Yes. Right. So yeah. they're not. So they may say, if we take the Catholic Church, which is because I, I get asked about the Catholic Church all the time. And it's probably one of the closer ones. And again, it's going to depend where and which church and which town. But say the Catholic Church says you don't use contraception. Right. Yeah. Nobody from the Catholic Church is coming into your bedroom at night, checking to see (laughs) if you're using contraception or not. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That is a big difference. Yes. Also, if you have healthy religion, if you leave that religion and decide not to go anymore, You are not shunned, whereas in most cults, if you leave or if you get kicked out, you are shunned and you are not allowed to be in touch with your family. If they're still in, you're usually denounced in some way. People will pass you on the street and like you're a dead person and not see you. Right. So I think that's another big difference. Yeah. huge. Um, Yeah. And, you know, a, a healthy religion may Ask you to tithe a certain amount of money each month. Um, I don't think they will kick you out if you don't make it. If you don't have it,
0: yeah, um,
1: they don't take everything from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most cults will take everything from you in one way or another. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of a lot of big differences, and and I think we need to be careful because people will say, oh, that religion's a cult and the marines are a cult and the government's a cult. If we start calling everything a cult, then nothing's a cult and it loses its meaning.
0: I I think how you just explained it then is really, really good because you put into my head a lot of things that... Um, I hadn't even thought of between the difference between a cult and a religion. And also, if you're if you go to church, you're allowed to associate with whoever you want. They don't say to you, well, you can't talk to those people and you can't talk to these people. So it's a lot or more you have free. To marry this yeah, right. it's a lot more freedom of choice. Well, it is freedom of choice other than right. some guidelines that they give you that they say, this is what, how we would like you to work. It's up to you right. if you follow them.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. whereas
0: the the uh, the cults are going to be like, this is how you're going to work, this is what you're going to do, these are the people you can talk to, and right. you need to sign over everything to us.
1: Right, and this is who you're going to marry, or this is how many children you should have or not have. And most cults will, when you first join, they may assign you someone who's like your buddy. Yeah. In my group, we called it a, a, a one help uh, in some of the evangelical cults, they call it your your discipler. Um, and, and so you have someone who you're supposed to divulge everything to, like if you're having especially in the beginning, like if you're having questions or hesitation, so you tell everything to the one help, and they're supposed to help you, right? Yeah. But what they do, they go back and they report you to the leadership so that at the next meeting, you're going to get criticized for, you know, having doubts or whatever. So yeah, that's yeah. how you learn that you can't trust anyone. Yeah. You can only trust the leader because anyone else is perfectly willing to turn you in.
0: And a lot of these cults, as well, they don't want you to look at any news or any media Mm -hmm. do they because I guess they don't want you to see what other people are talking out against that cult but um I as I say I still like to highlight what's happening in cults because you never know who might hear our conversation and be in something where they're going actually I I think maybe what they're talking about is where I'm headed or Mm -hmm. you know it might be a family member who goes oh actually my son's in something like that it's got to be they can mm-hmm. then reach out to people and find out more information because mm-hmm. it's only really when these cults are actually exposed or when they're getting to a point where they're doing dangerous things that we might even hear about them because they could be underground for 10, 20 years and no one knows they're there. And
1: many of them have. Yeah. Many of them have. I mean, you have in Australia, there's a group. Well, they don't have a name, but they're called the two by twos and there's hundreds of thousands probably in Australia and in New Zealand they're here in America they're all over the world and they're a completely secretive fundamentalist group. they don't build churches or buildings so they only so they're completely nobody knows they exist they just wow. meet and they meet in people's homes. Um, I have someone I work with who was in the two by twos she grew up in it. And here in America, and, you know, she said she could have traveled anywhere in the world and there would be a two by two family that would take her in and let her stay there while she was in whatever town she was in. They're absolutely everywhere. They're super strict. They're fundamentalists. They, you know, the women can't cut their hair, you know, cover your knee, you know, the whole the whole bit. It's very patriarchal. It was actually started in Scotland. by an irishman or in ireland by a scot one or the other <laughs> yeah. um but, but yeah there's so there's just just dozens of these groups i mean i hate to say there's a cult under every tree but I don't know. I'm beginning to think maybe there is. (laughs) Well,
0: look, I mean, you just saying that, I thought I knew a lot about cults. And usually if people ask me uh, or say, do you know this cult? I'll go, oh, yeah, I watched a documentary on that or I heard a podcast on that. But that's Mm -hmm. one that I've never, ever heard of. I mean, Mm -hmm. last night I was just watching um, a documentary. I watched, well, I watched the three or four part a a couple of months ago and I just watched another one last night on Teal Swan. And Um, yeah. She's controversial. Um, Lots of people follow her. She says she's spiritual. Maybe she is. But when you saw the documentary, which was like the fly on the wall where they hired a private investigator to investigate them and show that they're not a cult, and then she came back and said, well, yes, you are a cult, and you saw some of the meetings they had, it was just like, my God, and it was the followers who were coming up with the rules, like, you know, we can't get married, and I was like, what? why are you suggesting this? You know, it was... It, but then they've been indoctrinated by Teal Swan as how they should live and her inner circle, all these rules and regulations that you have to follow. But then if mm-hmm. you just saw her in a YouTube clip, you'd go, wow, beautiful woman, talks mm-hmm. well, knows what mm-hmm. she's talking about. This idea she's saying, which is probably a five, ten-minute video, wow, amazing. But when you look behind the scenes, you go, oh, my God, people need to stay away
1: right and i and i've known about her for years and so i i've just been so delighted that suddenly there you know there have been these uh documentaries and podcasts and other things that have come out about her because well, yeah she's been around for a while
0: yeah it's certainly eye-opening and and as i say most documentaries either on someone who's killed someone or a cult, I'm usually drawn to it because I want to see, A, why it happened, how it started, why these people stayed, how they got out, how they were able to, I guess, de-associate themselves with it and Mm -hmm. continue on and have a great life. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I know that's not everybody who leaves a cult has a great life afterwards. Some people Mm -hmm. it would take years and years and some people take their lives. But there are those ones that manage to change their life around when they come out.
1: Yes. It takes time and it takes work, but it's certainly doable. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Look, I have had the most fascinating chat with you today. Um, <laughs> I, you. Since we first c- connected, I wanted to speak to you because, as I said, I've got a fascination with cults and people, and you are an absolutely fascinating person. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, thank you, Daniel. And just, you know, I'll, I'll be back any time. Just uh, you have to chase me down for a few months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I would love to have you come back early next year because there, there's still so many other cults that we could discuss and why people join them. And it's Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was fascinating. Thank you so much.
1: Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. Right. Thank you, Daniel.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you. And I'll always respond to you. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.